Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. And uh, good morning to you. It is July 2nd. And um, I have a, uh, a guest waiting. Um, and I want to jump jump right in. Yesterday, when I was uh, spending so much time at the beginning of the show talking about the ama- amazing Carl Reiner, um, in the back of my head, I kept thinking, wow, this incredible 98-year-old man. Um, but I know another incredible 98-year-old man who died on the same day. And uh, his name is David Lewis, and I wanted to take uh, time today to tell you about this extraordinary person. Um, joining me to help in that effort is the, is the man who introduced me to David Lewis, uh, for which I am eternally grateful, uh, Steve Mendelson, who, is, uh, who has an art gallery on Ellsworth Avenue. Steve, you there? Yep. Okay, hi. Listen, um, David Lewis is, he's one of those people that you would say is, was larger than life. Um, such an extraordinary character. Um, I just started writing down things that he, he was. Um, I mean, was in a, like, seriously was, like an architect, uh, a writer, a painter, uh, uh, a teacher, a sculptor, uh, a storyteller, a great friend, a, all these things that he was. How do we describe this amazing man we knew who lived 98 amazing lives, the years in his life? Yeah. I'd say you'd have to call him a Renaissance man, one of the last yeah. Renaissance men, like like a Leonardo da Vinci, had yeah. interest in everything, related to everybody, you know, uh, questioned authority, questioned the world, right? Uh, just an incredible, incredible person, and and he stayed childlike his whole life. You know, he always had this, he always had this sparkle in his eye, and he always had this little. He was always joking with people and playing with double entendres. He, he just was alive, just a wonderful, wonderful person. Well, his his artwork, which which delights me every day because I have much of it in my home, is childlike, um, mm-hmm. and it stems from uh, his his homeland of uh, South Africa. Can you explain his? his art because you introduced it in large part to um, so many people. Yeah. That's the dichotomy of him. He, he was just extraordinary. His grandfather was the mayor of Cape town and his father and mother were, you know, his father, I'm sure he slept in a tuxedo and a top hat, you know, and, and carried a cane. His mother was kind of Irish uh, royalty kind of, you know, goes back to the queen. Um, and they divorced, which was unheard of. So they sent him down to live with his grandfather, who was the mayor of Cape Town. And um, so, yeah, young David Fauntleroy. (laughs) (laughs) But but he was so not like that. 
no, and he hung out with the natives and he hung out with, uh, you know, and he learned from the culture that was there. His grandfather, you know, had the first car down there, all that kind of stuff. His father was the first city planner in a way. He brought water from Table Mountain down to the city. He filled in part of the part of the Cape Bay to, to enlarge the city. His, so his grandfather was a city planner. Um, so, but David really would sit, he would probably sit on the, uh, you know, knees of the natives and hear their stories and, and they stayed with him and he reinvented those stories later on. And so his artwork are, are these are reinventions of these native stories with, uh, with these fanciful, wonderful animals and birds, uh, you, and, you can't and, look at them without and people they're naked and they're, they're yeah. you know, primal and they're beautiful and you can't look the at them without without feeling jo- joy i don't know joy yeah, there's, so there's one story a woman who falls in love with a fish and so she's looking into the water and and then she's floating in there with the fish and that's an old an old african tale that he just made his own and then somewhere about him about mortality and about um you know the uda lab. excuse me uda is uh the uh architectural firm that he uh right. founded uh urban uh, design associates um but i i mean i don't even know where you start with this guy so he he's in uh world war ii in the south uh african navy right submarine um, case. He was on a submarine he was a Marine chaser. He, I remember him telling me just terrifying stories about his his experience. He was, without a doubt, the best storyteller I know. Yep. Um, and okay, but so talk about how he ended up leaving <laughs> South Africa. Yeah. So after the war, he uh, he questioned. He said, "Okay, well, the good guys won, so black people should be able to go to universities and vote, and you know." segregation uh, should be dealt with and they said look you're a communist and you know you're you have to leave the country you either have to give us your passport and stay here or you have to leave the country and never come back and actually his grandfather talked to the prime minister at that time and the prime minister said actions have consequences so so david was more or less kicked out of the country ended up in cornwall st ives was not a penny and um and met a bunch of famous artists uh the famous british school of ben nicholson and barbara hepworth and uh and got back on his feet and he never lived on his you know the fact that there was probably money in his family he never cared about that he never wanted that um his brother his brother is the gynecologist was the gynecologist to the queen the queen elizabeth (laughs) well Oh, what stories he could tell! <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, he was uh, sir. He, he was sir. Sir. Know, sir Lewis. And David, David could have gone back to England and been Sir David Lewis. I mean, it was all. I suppose, yeah. In the works. Well, actually, he was going to marry someone uh, um, whose great great grandfather was William Pitt. God Almighty! But let's—I want to be clear. David Lewis chose to live in Pittsburgh, and David Lewis actually chose to live in Homestead, mm-hmm. um, uh, an old steel town that he cared mightily about and tr- 
tried mightily to resurrect because his the greatest value i mean he really cared about making cities livable for the people in them i mean that right. was his passion right that was definitely his passion not not many people cared about that architects take a tasso Cancellus or whatever any architect in any city they want you to know that they designed that building you know that's important to them they don't care if it works with the neighborhood necessarily they want to know that you see their style in that building and david didn't care about that he cared about it working with the community that was most important for him well he i mean i remember him i mean buildings should not be works of art buildings are 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 tools that, that people use to, I mean, he he saw architecture as something that needed to start from the ground, literally, up. So before he did anything, he would talk to the community and get input from the community. Um, he, he was amazing, and we should say that he is a big shot, was a big shot in the architecture world. I mean, uh, he was given, what was that? Every award award. that could be given to an architect. He was the founder, founding member of the International Institute of Urban Design. He he almost single-handedly created the idea of, urban design of making cities livable and mm-hmm. that had nothing to do with making them uh good for automobiles or thing like that good for people right. and he didn't always win i mean when they you know the oh. civic arena they tore down that community to make the civic arena and build a moat to keep the, um, the black the people from yeah. downtown uh, he went but, nuts. But he did go back up there and he built all these communities up there all these right. you know these wonderful housing for poor right. people and, and he you know he he always said never go in with answers always go in with questions so he would meet with the community and he would never tell them what they were going to do he would ask them what they needed and what they wanted you know right and that was him you know i had him once on this show and it was when we were it, it was i was already doing the show with the uh, city paper, and so we were down on Smithfield Street, and he he came down, and he would have been he was already an old old man. He was uh, probably in his late eighties, and we had the most um, well, you can imagine an hour talking <laughs> with David about uh, architecture. And I have to tell you, I don't know that I've ever received more um, feedback from any guest I've ever had. People were just smitten with him and felt that they had learned so much. And I also remember that day because, Steve, after we left the studio – I walked him out to uh, Smithfield, and we were standing on the corner of Smithfield and 7th, I think, and he looked up, and he started just there on the corner, educating me about how the building 
was built and why there were these amazing carvings way, 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 way up that you don't even see. You know, we don't look up when we're walking around downtown, but ever since that day, I do. Because I know now of all this wondrousness that architects of that era put at the tops of their buildings. Just extraordinary stuff. You couldn't be with him for a minute without learning something. That's true. That's so true. And, you know, and he worked from the bottom up and the top down. I mean, he brought Prince Charles to Pittsburgh for remaking cities, you know. And, I mean, he got Prince Charles to come to Pittsburgh. That right. I know. One thousand percent, you know. And, and yet he would, you know, go to these meetings and meet with local people in Wilkinsburg or the Hill or, or wherever it was about how to make the community a stronger, better place. And he always had time for everybody. I mean, that was that was David. We should also say that he was um, a professor of architecture at Carnegie Mellon University and then an emeritus professor there. CMU uh, uh, retained uh, his his gifts uh, up until the end. I mean, they 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 really valued his his input. And he his head was as sharp as a tack up until the end. the very end. Absolutely. He also had a chair from Yale for about six years. Uh-huh. I don't, I don't know what he did with it. I think he put it in the back seat of his... Uh, a chair from <laughs> Yale? I mean, literally put... No, no, no. They gave him no. a chair. You know, yeah, a chair. Um, um, he used to drive around with a bow tie and, you know, an old gas-guzzling station wagon. He used to lecture around the, the country, and that's how he came to Pittsburgh in the first place. He yeah. lectured, and they wanted him to stay, so... You can imagine so, him in a bow tie, couldn't you? I mean, he's uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he was a big, wondrous uh, man with a extraordinarily contagious laugh. I, you know, my God, and he uplifted other artists and other sculptors. I mean, I'm I'm thinking of I don't know. Have you? Have you thought talked to, to Thad Mosley at all? Thad Mosley, for those of you who don't know, is probably one of the. I mean, wouldn't you say he's one of the better known uh, sculpt? Is it sculptors of wood in yeah. the country? Yeah, and he happens to be African American, which is even more extraordinary. He but, happens to be African American. He has to be almost as old as David. They were great he's, pals. Ninety-three. Ninety-three. Ninety-three, and he looks like he's forty. Yeah. Sad, yeah. Mosley, just and they, extraordinary. And they but both feel, they both feel like you got to keep working. You know, when you stop working, well, there was a quote David said. You know, they spank you to get you to, you know, start noticing things when you're born, and when you stop noticing things, you're dead. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, yeah. And that's that's true. I remember um, once at his home, him showing me. I mean, he never for a minute wasted any time so he would write these journals he must have had he never stopped in this incredible handwriting of his writing down i can't imagine the wealth of Mm -hmm. information and life experience that he left behind i can't imagine and then you go to his house and uh, for dinner he'd make you an incredible dinner wonderful cook um 
love to serve, of course, and see you eat his food. And then you'd get a handwritten letter from him the next day. You know, That's right. Just, <laughs> just so, like thanking you for letting him feed you dinner. Yeah. They don't make them like that anymore. It's just Well, I have to say that there has not, as far as I know, been an obituary in the paper. And that's pretty astonishing because he was um, really a great, truly great man. And I just, I needed people to to know more about him. I'm going to try to find, I don't know how I can, try to find in our, in our archives that our show with David. If I find it, um, you know, I'll be able to... Uh, to get it back up. Also, I want to tell my audience that I've put on our Facebook page a little, uh, a little like two minute uh, video that uh, features David. I'm not quite even. Sure. I think it came from Urban. Uh, did you see that, Steve? By any I did. I couldn't. I couldn't open it. I was going to mention. Oh, that to you. I'm sorry. It's a it's an error or whatever. So double check that. Make sure it's fine. <laughs> okay. But it, it it's um I think that should be up on um on my Facebook page, uh, the show's Facebook page. Um and I, and I Mackenzie, Mackenzie really captured him in the article she did in twenty twelve. And um well, is that the one, you know, I was able to see the first sentence. Mackenzie Carpenter, who was a, a wonderful reporter for the Post-Gazette, um, and was so smitten with David after she did that article yeah. that uh, she, I mean, anyone it, it was, anyone who met him fell in, fell in love with him. Um, and I think her first line, because this is all I could see, and then I tried to see the rest of the story, and because I don't subscribe, they wouldn't. You refused to, I understand. I could not, yes, I could not read the article, but I think she said that David Lewis has led and continues to lead or something, a big, crowded, chaotic life, uh-huh. and he's not going to stop. That's right. And this is when he had turned 90. This show was his 90th birthday. <sighs> and he did not. I mean, he did so much more in the last eight years. Well, I want to say that there is an incredible um, – mural that you can see of his at um the home uh no 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 the the uh oh god what part of town is that uh, the, the down down by the river the um hazelwood library mm-hmm. there is an um, and, and then you told me that there's now one his part of his sculpting his uh sculpting in metal is on Murray Murray Avenue Avenue. near where Poli's used to be on that little triangular strip that now has a parking garage. And the side is his. When the heck did he do that? I mean, he would have had, that was just put up. He he would have had Uh, to do that with. Yeah. They used his images. They, they used his, um, he approved it, helped him do it. I see. He didn't. It also has great quotes about race relations and, and you know, yeah. equality. And, and also the Pittsburgh Center for the Arts, uh, the entrance side, there's several up on there that he gave to them. He, mm. he designed. 
I have to tell you guys, um, if, um, I don't know, I, he, I hope he gets the recognition that he deserves. I mean, there should be a New York times obituary. There should be. And I, I mean, I personally just feel, you know, well, you can't mourn too much a life so well lived and so long lived. But and again, in England, they should do something, you know, in London. Yeah. I'm sure that, you know, they have to. Um, he was so much, he was, he was related to royalty in some sense. I mean, if you wanted to go back like some knuckleheads would, he could say, I'm, you know, 118th uh, married to, you know, family of Queen Elizabeth. But he, but he didn't, that, that would, he would, he would just country. joke about something like that. He didn't yeah. care. No. But he probably, but he did go back to that. I mean, his lineage and bloodline <clears throat> probably would have connected. But he would have deserved that, not deserved it. But I mean, yeah. But his other bloodline. I mean, I want to, I, I want to raise up the other part of his bloodline. Was Jewish. Well, he said he had a grandparent that maybe was Jewish. He had a grand. He was always very dismissive of it. That's the one thing we used to fight about. Well, because he was he was not Steve. He was so not religious in any way. And I I do remember really mixing it up with him on a on a few occasions. Yeah, he, and felt, he, was, he actually felt Israel was um, you know that there shouldn't have been a Jewish state. The Jews aren't a state. They are people that belong in the world. And then deserved to be well, look, And how did that work out for him? Don't get me started. This is the kind of fight we would have. How did that work out for him? Fuck. Don't go there. Steve and I have trouble every time we talk. We end up fighting, too. Um, all right. Any other, I mean, yeah, any other thoughts? I know you live with his works. If you go to Mendelssohn Gallery or drive by it on Ellsworth Avenue, I know... Steve, you put one of his yeah, paintings in the window. window. He, you know, he was married four times, or maybe five. David, <laughs> <laughs> who's counting? Yeah, and the piece he gave me—that was—that was in advance of a wedding, uh, an engagement, but I never got married. So he said, "You have to give it back to me." Then, <laughs> <laughs> and it was nice because that was shown in the Carnegie Museum. Uh, they mm -hmm. took pieces from different collectors. And he really forced the Carnegie to do something on that, mostly. His, his work never would have been shown there if it weren't for David. And Peter Contis, you know, a Greek immigrant uh, painter, they got him, he got them to show it. And he really felt like the museum should be there for the people. And he well, made his voice be heard, you know. So, he was an amazing, amazing human being. I could imagine him, in, you know, in a, in a as a Greek in a toga sitting around talking to people, <laughs> you know, uh, or Leonardo da Vinci or anybody. I just see him as such a, in any culture, any world, he would be, he would be a joy and he'd be giving and sharing. Right. Him. In, in, in an African village, he'd be the old that man in the African village sitting in the corner talking to the kids, telling them stories, you know? Oh God. Well, I just, we need to let you know that we've lost a great one, a true, 
great man, David Lewis. God bless him. Steve, thank you. Yes, he lives in his friends. He lives, he, yes. he definitely lives in his friends. And uh, he would not want you to say he was lost. He would say, you know, he would want to just be living forward, playing it forward. That's I can it. just hear his laugh, his laughter. I mean, uh, yeah, his laughter and his passion. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Sorry, okay. David. I'm saying God bless you. There you go. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you, Steve. Thank you for this with you, Lynn. Talk Thank you. Bye, Bye, you. Bye. Yeah, I had to do that. I hope I can find that um, hour uh, with him. He was unbelievably amazing human being. I wish every one of you could have spent an hour in his in his company. They're some of the richest uh, hours in my life. Oh, okay. It's wonderful when incredible people live that long, huh? And they keep, like Reiner, like David. I mean, they both born in 22, both died in 2020, both going and producing and delighting other people up until the very end. Man, you can't ask for better. Well, what we got? Um, Bob and Braddock says, with coronavirus cases rapidly growing in Allegheny County, and in addition to your daily Allegheny County COVID case reports, I think you should end your show by saying, F you, I mean, after I do the COVID reports, then say an F you to those who made these new COVID cases possible. And for that matter, F you to those who made Trump's presidency possible, which has only, uh, yeah, increased the number of uh, COVID cases possible. F you people. It's a good idea, Bob, but I I don't know if I'm going to... uh, I don't know. It seems like a sort of um, harsh way to um, end a program, but God knows I I am in full agreement uh, with you. Oh, yeah, guys, um, you know, July 4th, two days away, if we see the kind of mindless, reckless, deadly uh, party-going, barbecuing that we saw on Memorial Day weekend, we're in for hell for the rest of this year. You know, there is a point at which this thing gets out there so much so that we're overwhelmed. Ask ask the folks, the, the poor medical workers right now in Houston and in Arizona. And they 
being put at risk because of these selfish, stupid human beings who think they're to party is more important than someone else's right to live. CNN is reporting that uh, uh, young people in Alabama, and I'm sure it's more than Alabama, although this, whoa, 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 this is particularly, particularly unbelievable. There are people in, young people in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, who get this, COVID parties. And it's a competition. Where I guess they find that one of them has to have it. One of them has to have tested positive. Is that it? And then they all party. Infected people are urged to attend so others can get the virus and and then whoever, I guess you have to pay money to attend one of these wonderful parties. Can you imagine this? You pay money to go to a party where people who have the disease will be partying along with you. And, um, and then whoever tests positive first after the party wins the payout, the money that people spent to go. Can you even take that in? And it didn't just happen once, it happened more than once. A city council person in, uh, in Tuscaloosa said uh, she had heard about this trend. She said, I, thought it was some kind of rumor but we did some research and doctors offices confirm it and then the state of Alabama confirmed it young people throwing parties where you get a money if you're the first to catch the virus after it. Over the last few weeks, there have been several of these parties. The chief of the fire department um, testified uh, to, I think, their city council about it and says, it makes me furious, furious that something so serious and so deadly is being taken for granted. I don't know if that's what he wanted to say. Not only is it irresponsible, but these kids are taking that virus home to their parents, to their grandparents. Um, I, I, 
that level of not just, that's willful, willful stupidity, willful attempt to spread a deadly virus that has already killed tens of thousands, over half a million globally. What in the name of God could these people be thinking? And in the same vein, I, I, I read a story about, um, this is, I believe, in, in, in New York State, um, where also, oh my God, I'm going to sneeze. I'm going to sneeze. Hang on. <coughs> ah, I did it into my elbow, even though I'm the only one here. I just want you to know that. Um, in upstate New York, I'm not sure if it's upstate. Uh, no, it's a New York City suburb. God, Rockland County. Um, there was, and this was two weeks ago, a party of up to 100 people. And again, these are people in their 20s. And uh, there was, this is a, was obviously a total violation of a New York state order that was in effect at the time that uh, put the cap on any gatherings of no, of, uh, no more than 10. Um, the person who hosted this party was already showing signs of being ill. After the party, they got tested, and yeah, they had it. And so, it turns out, did eight other guests. So, county health officials immediately try to ascertain who was at this party so they could dispatch the tracers to try to learn where these people were, where they went, who else had possibly been in contact. They were trying to ameliorate the damage and keeping what could be a super spreader event from spreading. And you know what happened? The tracers hit a wall. They were told over and over again by people they contacted. One party person apparently gave names. And so in calling all these other people, they said, we need to know who was there. We need to know who you've been with. And these 20-somethings are refusing to cooperate. They hang up. They deny being there. And so, I mean, can you imagine? I can't, I can't, I can't get my head around it at how awful some people are. And the county there 
so desperate that they have issued subpoenas now to people who they believe were at that party. And they're telling these SOBs that you either comply with this subpoena and give us the information that we're asking for by today, or we're going to start fining you $2,000 a day. Now, maybe that will get some of them to step forward. The Rockland County executive said, I will not allow the health of our county to be compromised because of ignorance, stupidity, or obstinance. Well, it is all of those things. But it's a kind of evil, too. Incredible. We're doomed, guys. And I really want to tell you all to please realize that we're back at not only square one here in Allegheny County, but we're in the worst place we've been in since we first heard the term COVID-19. You have to understand there is a greater threat out there now than there has ever been. And I don't know, does a country survive this level of willful stupidity? I don't think, I mean, Makes me insane. Well, what else do I have here? God almighty. Oh, I guess good news. That awful woman who was pals with actually the procurer for Jeffrey Epstein um, has finally been arrested. I wondered why, I mean, I I understood she was like sort of on the run and staying with um, people Um, oh my god, I'm sorry I'm looking at this white son of a bitch historian from the UK And he's on a rant. I can read just part. Slavery was not genocide. Otherwise, there wouldn't be so many damn blacks in Africa or in Britain, would there? We settled this 200 years ago. We don't go on about how the Roman Catholics didn't have the right to vote. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Guys. What are we going to do? What the hell are we going to do? Anybody got any ideas? 
if I see any more of these videos of crazy women and men with guns and harassing black people just living their lives, I will go nuts. I I can't believe there were there are that many horrible people in the world. And it's hard it's hard to maintain um you know a sense of hopefulness um, when there are so many awful people wow and i i like that they're being outed but we can't out them all they procreate, they recreate their ugliness in their children. I, uh, I just, I don't know. What do we do when we have this um, close to 40% of fellow Americans who are are not living in reality and are filled with such hate and fear. I just, I don't know. Forgive me for... Okay, so I don't know how to pronounce her name. Uh, Gislin? Somebody tells me it's not a hard G. Uh, but her the indictment for her said in part that uh, whatever her name is, Maxwell, facilitated and contributed to Jeffrey Epstein's abuse of minor girls by, among other things, helping Epstein to recruit, groom, and ultimately abuse his victims. The victims were as young as 14. She faces six counts, including conspiracy to entice minors, transporting minors, perjury. So um, they finally got her. Now, what will be interesting to see is if she ends up dead. (laughs) I, I didn't mean to laugh, but yeah, if she ends up dead. Certain people needed to silence Epstein. Um, These are federal charges. uh, And she was very much uh, part of the operation, the procurer. So um, she would know about these influential people, the Prince Andrews, the Donald Trumps, the, uh, what's his name? The jerk Harvard professor. Um, She would know all of this. And um, this comes out of the Southern District And what's interesting is this was one of the cases that um, 
the guy that Barr and uh, Trump just axed the head of the Southern District, Berman. This was a case he was obviously hard at work on and about to bring to fruition and was this why Barr and Trump went after him and then tried to put one of their people in place and they they mucked it up. They did it so ham-fistedly and Berman did his um, courageous refusal to leave until his deputy was put in charge. And it is his deputy who is in charge now, who obviously moved quickly, arrested her. Wow. Wow. So this could well have been one of the things that the Southern District of New York uh, was up to, that Barr and Trump were very, very anxious to close down. Let us remember that Epstein had 14 different phone numbers connected to Donald Trump in his little black book. Um, Wow. Well, as I said, I don't see how they can kill her too. Wow. Never a dull moment when you have um, a crook, a rapist, and a con man um, in the Oval Office. God. All right. Obituary of the day, Jack Whitaker. A sad story. It was sort of a local story since West Virginia is essentially our neck of the woods. But, you know, Jack Whitaker was the guy who won the biggest lottery jack, Powerball jackpot at that time. Uh, it was $315 million. And so he got tons of publicity. This guy in West Virginia. And his life went to hell. Everyone came at him for money. He got so paranoid he couldn't trust anybody who approached him. He, it didn't take him long before he said, damn, I wish I had torn up that ticket. His wife left him. His granddaughter got addicted to drugs. A friend of hers was found dead at his home. Three months later, the granddaughter was dead too. His daughter died of cancer, his house burned down, 
His home and car were repeatedly burglarized. While he was at a strip club, thieves broke into his car and stole a briefcase stuffed with $245,000 in cash and $300,000 in cashier's checks. Now, why the hell? I mean, so he was, I always thought this guy was just a stupid idiot. And then in the obit, I, I find, and maybe you guys already knew, that he was a millionaire before he hit this. He was a self-made millionaire. Before he won the lottery. So it wasn't like he was some poor guy who went berserk. He had built a construction business and it was uh it was valued at over 17 million dollars. He was already an extremely rich man. And it's sad because there's a quote here that says, I'm only going to be remembered as the lunatic who won the lottery. I'm not proud of that. I wanted to be remembered as someone who helped a lot of people. Little Tony, you're making me nervous here. Oh, thank you. I, at Little Tony, the subject line, he sent me an email with Cyril Wecht, and I, I'm just so you know, nervous about older guys dying right now that I thought you were going to tell me Cyril was dead. But that's not what this is. Um, But Tony says, I hear Dr. Wecht was on Wendy Smell's show. Who's that? Is that really her name, Wendy Smell's? Or is that a typo? And who is she? Uh, anyway, and and said that the mandatory mask order from Dr. Levine. Oh, are you talking about Wendy? What's her name? <laughs> now I can't think of her name. Our Wendy on K- KD. Um, he said the mandatory uh, Wendy Bell. Thank you. Jeez. <laughs> oh, I actually thought Wendy Smells was some kind of an okay. He so he said on her show that the ma- mandatory mask order was absurd. Oh, for God's sakes! All the Trumpsters are jumping up and down with joy. What a disappointment Dr. Wecht is to me now. I always liked him, but why would he go on that particular show? Well, he doesn't have a, an axe to grind with her. And one thing we all know about Cyril is he loves the sound of his own voice. Um, well, I, I, you know, this doesn't surprise me uh, since he, um, you know, wrote that op-ed uh, for the Post-Gazette in which he seemed to sneer at all of the um, efforts uh, being done to mitigate the virus. Um, um, I think Cyril always thinks he's the smartest guy in the room and sometimes that is in fact true. He's 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 got a hell of a head. There's no doubt about that. He's smart. But it doesn't necessarily mean he's right all the time. And it also doesn't mean that he's necessarily wise. He is also by nature a contrarian. So I don't know. I don't know. Wow. 
I mentioned at the end of the show uh, yesterday that I'd seen something about the mayor of Wilkinsburg, uh, you know, waving a gun um, at uh, demonstrators outside her home, and and she didn't really wave the gun, but she had a gun, um, and she made no effort to suggest she didn't. And she says she always has a gun for her own protection, which seems odd because she's got cops around her. Um, Apparently, her mother did assault one of the protesters. And there is video and who knows what, but um, I, I don't know. You know, you can't keep up with this crap. You just can't. Oh, and let's see. So apparently, what is it, three or four uh, Republicans in primaries, congressional primaries around the country uh, who have won? And so we'll be standing for election to uh, the the U.S. House of Representatives. I don't know. I can't remember if it's three or four, but they like are into QAnon, which is like Looneyville conspiracy theories. Our House of Representatives is going to be filled with people filled. At least there's going to be QAnon people here because the, these guys who won these races are winning them in in districts that are Republican districts. So they, they'll probably go on to win. I don't know about all, but yeah, this is how stupid we have become. Um, one of them is a 33-year-old restaurant owner, Lauren Bobert, and she knocked off a five-term, very conservative Republican congressman in uh, in Arizona, I think, right? One of them there states. Colorado. And she beat him by nine percentage points. Listen to this. She owns a gun-themed restaurant called Shooter's Grill, in which she encourages her servers and patrons to openly carry firearms. Everyone, the waiters are... The servers have guns. The people at the tables have guns. Uh, She's always got her gun, never without her Glock on her hip. And I guess that's the kind of thing that just makes uh, Republican voters swoon. She defied orders to close her restaurant during the pandemic. She has mocked people online for wearing masks. She believes there's a deep state inside the government intent on undermining Donald Trump, and she thinks QAnon is 
Well, she says, quote, everything I've heard of Q, I sure hope it's real. Okay. Well, coming soon to the United States Congress. God help us. Um, Barbara has sent me something from two political junkies. That's a uh, local news. KDK's Wendy Bell ranted about, quote, the virus, the virtue signaling of mask Nazis. Oh, Jesus, God in heaven. And she said this. The science about masks sucks because nobody knows and nobody can prove anything about these particulates, right? So she keeps telling her audience and then Cyril comes on and, uh, and, and buttresses her remarks. An April study found the effects of coronavirus media coverage analyzed, uh, well, they looked at who got their news from Fox and who got their news from more reputable uh, media outlets. And uh, people who listened to Fox um, are much more at risk. <laughs> Why would they try to kill their own audience? I don't even understand that. Okay. And, uh, oh, Roger, who called yesterday about the stupid conference call with his bosses about wearing masks in the office, um, he said one thing that did come up was herding, like they're doing in Sweden. And I quickly responded that we don't know the long-term impacts to those who survive the virus. Also, um, generally speaking, Swedes are much healthier than Americans. They don't have as many underlying conditions, the obesity, the diabetes, the yada, yada, yada. So um, Roger is updating his call by saying, guess what? We're now required to wear masks in the office. I won one for a change. You're an idiot, Phil. Well, good. Good. And then an update on his new dog, Harper. She likes poop. Oh, God. Oh, she's a poop eater. Oh, no. I caught her with a delightful morsel that she dropped as soon as I scolded her. Oh, well, she ain't perfect. Our past dogs thought that the other was an ice cream dispenser. That the what was an ice cream dispenser? I don't understand that. Um, yeah. I remember once watching this ridiculous dog named Ernie um, in a backyard in Madison, Wisconsin. It was a really cold winter day. And I was looking out the kitchen window of his house onto the backyard. And that dog was having so much fun by himself. It's so cute when dogs play by themselves. He had, he was tossing something up in the air and then it would hit 
and then he would, you know, jump on it and toss it again. He was playing catch with himself. And um, I said to his owner, look at how cute that is. What's he playing with? And she said, frozen turds. So um, that's the first time I realized that dogs saw poop. Well, he wasn't eating them. He was just playing with them and, you know, whatever. So is that it? Am I going to hang around waiting for the the report, which we'll know will be above 100, because we have been told not to expect anything under, that this is just going to keep on happening for the next few weeks, which is terrifying. So I'll, um, I'll give it uh, another second or two. And uh, otherwise, I'm going to bid you a fond farewell because I don't, um, I don't really have anything, anything else. So now that we have been um, mandated to wear masks outside, I mean, okay. I mean, even walking the dog last night um, when, you know, I don't encounter anybody. And if I do, we can safely distance, but I still put the mask on, I'll, you know, part of it, what Wendy Bell calls virtue signaling Nazi mask. I, I don't, I don't know what she, where the Nazi thing came from. Um, the, the thing is, it is true that the more people mask up, it becomes that which is to be done. And so someone is less inclined to not wear a mask simply because, well, this is a herd mentality too. People don't like generally to go against the grain. So if most of us are constantly wearing masks, others will fall in line unless, of course, they're um, they're. They belong to a cult, which an awful lot of Americans do uh, these days. The cult of uh, willful stupidity and uh, and selfishness. I, I I just again I don't know how else to to characterize it. Okay, well. I'm not, I'm, I waiting anymore just to report an awful number to you. But um, as uh, Bob and Braddock told me to say, um, and I hate to end on this note, but really, F you to all you people who are making the, this new spike, this frightening spike of cases possible. And uh, and another uh, middle finger to those of you who gave the presidency to that awful man. Oh, you know what I'm going to do? I've been meaning to share this with you. Um, I'm just going to play this 
uh, for you. It's uh, by Gil Scott Heron. Um, and I think you can um, understand it. Uh, Gil Scott Heron, who was a poet, a black poet and musician, and um, he wrote this, my God, God knows when, way back when. This this shows how long, maybe 30, 40 years ago, I don't know. But he in this poem, he references a guy named Jose Campos Torres, and um, that was a Vietnam veteran. Jose Campos Torres was a Vietnam veteran who was killed by police in Houston in 1977. And Gil Scott Heron wrote this. I heard it and was moved by it, and I'd like you to um, hear it as well. I said I wasn't going to write no more poems like this. I had confessed to myself all along, tracer of life, poetry, trends, that awareness, consciousness, poems that screamed of pain and the origins of pain and death had blanketed my tablets, and therefore my friends, brothers, sisters, in-laws, outlaws, and besides, they already knew. But Brother Torres, common ancient bloodline Brother Torres, is dead. I said I wasn't going to write no more poems like this. I said I wasn't going to write no more words down about people kicking us when we're down, about racist dogs that attack us and drive us down, drag us down and beat us down. But the dogs are in the street. The dogs are alive and the terror in our hearts has scarcely diminished. It has scarcely brought us the comfort we suspected. The recognition of our terror and the screaming release of that recognition has not removed the certainty of that knowledge. How could it be? The dogs, rapid, foaming with the energy of their brutish ignorance, Drive the city streets like robot gunslingers and spread death as night lamps flash crude reflections from gun butts and police shields. I said I wasn't writing no poems like this. But the battlefield has oozed away from the stilted debates of semantics beyond the questionable flexibility of primal screaming. The reality of our city, jungle streets, and their Gestapos has become an attack on home, life, family, philosophy, total. It is beyond the question of the advantages of didactic niggerism. The motherfucking dogs are in the streets. In Houston, maybe someone said Mexicans were the new niggas. In L.A., maybe someone said Chicanos were the new niggas. In Frisco, maybe someone said Orientals were the new niggas. Maybe in Philadelphia and North Carolina, they decided they didn't need no new niggas. I had said I wasn't going to write no more poems like this. But the dogs are in the streets. It's a turnaround world where things are all too quickly turned around. It was turned around so that right looked wrong. It was turned around so that up looked down. It was turned around so that those who marched in the street with Bibles and signs of peace became enemies of the state and risk to national security. So that those who questioned the operations of those in authority on the principles of justice, liberty, and equality became the vanguard of a communist attack. It became so you couldn't call a spade a motherfucking spade. Brother Therese is dead. The Wilmington Ten are still incarcerated. Ed Davis, Ronald Reagan, James Hunt, and Frank Rizzo are still alive. And the dogs are in the motherfucking street. I had said I wasn't going to write no more poems like this. I made a mistake. Wow. I said I wasn't going to write any more motherfucking poems like this. But the dogs are in the streets. Wow. 
So I'm not sure when he wrote that, but I mean, it, I don't know. Whatever. Okay. That's it, guys. I haven't uh, seen the report yet. It's coming in a little late today, but um, I want to wish you all a safe July 4th weekend. Let it let it be a weekend unlike other July 4th weekends uh, in that you stay home. Okay? God help us all. Talk to you Monday. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.